Okay, our scripture today will be from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. Again, that's 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. This is the word of God. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. All right. Thanks, Miss. Thanks, Daniel. Um, several years ago, uh, got my thing on. Uh, several years ago, uh, I had to read a book uh, in one of my seminary classes. Uh, in seminary, uh, there's a lot of reading. I know we're kind of in a um, in a, a academic community, so some of you guys have, have taken, gotten your master's degrees or whatever. And a lot of times, when you sign up for that, you do a lot of reading. Uh, often, it's a subject you have some interest in, but some books you forward to more than others. Uh, and this one particular book, uh, I was not really looking forward to. It seemed a bit more technical and I wasn't super excited about. But if you were to ask me if there was um, one page or one paragraph or one sentence that, that stuck out to me in all the reading I did and getting my degree, I would probably have to go to page 53 of uh, a professor by Professor RTS, a guy named Douglas Kelly. He has a book written called Creation and Change. It's on the, really just on the first two chapters of, of Genesis, Genesis 1 and 2. And, uh, and I'm just going to share this. This is probably what, what I remember being one of my favorite little sections that I read during all the reading I had to do. So I'll, I'm going to share it with you right now. And it says this, The infinite God, the Father, so loved God, the equally infinite Son, that He brought into being ex nihilo, out of nothing, a finite material world to be peopled with creatures in the likeness of his son in order that as the son's bride, they could share in the beatitude of the divine life. To provide a beautiful bride for his son, the eternal father created an entire universe and in it a world which previously had no existence whatsoever as the nursery and home in which the bride would be reared. That to me is beautiful. And it's, it's the most beautiful way I've ever heard this question answered. So here, this will be the question that's answering. Why did God create the world? So, so before God created the world, there was nothing. So why did he create something? Why is there nothing rather than, or why is there something rather than nothing? And the reason that he's giving, and to put it in a nutshell, is God created the world. God created the universe. God the Father did that in order to give his son a bride. The reason God made this planet, the reason God said, let there be light, the the reason that this planet is is so fine-tuned to this astronomical degree is because God the Father wanted to give God the Son abroad. And that is the reason God created the planet. And that is what life in all of human history is really about. 
uh, there's a guy named John Eldridge, and he wrote a book in the 90s that was massively popular, uh, and it was mostly directed towards men. Uh, and one of the, his premises in the beginning of the, of the book, uh, he was talking about how we're made in the image of God. And, and since guys are made in the image of God, uh, we have this, these three uh, desires that are just innate in us. And it was th- these three things that he was talking about every guy, and this was, again, it was, it was wildly popular, said every guy has this kind of embedded in them. They want an adventure to live, they want a battle to fight, and they want a beauty to rescue. And, and he argued that this is connected with us being made in the image of God. And you could even frame the message of, of the Bible that way, because the, the Bible is this long, winding road, and it's a, it's a great adventure of what's going on with the, with the people of God, you could say. And there's certainly a, a battle to fight, even if we just focus on Jesus, and we'll say the powers of darkness. And, and the climax of this story is Jesus dying for his people. Or as Paul says in Ephesians 5, Jesus dying for his bride, the church. And Jesus rescuing his bride is what all of human history is all about. That's what the the Bible is about. That's what the cross and our salvation is all about. And the Old Testament prophets were looking into the future to how this might happen. And the New Testament apostles were looking back at Jesus and how it did happen. And so the gospel is the story at the center of human history. And if that is not central in your life, then you are doing life wrong. In, in chapter 1, 1 Peter, he's talking about the gospel of salvation. That's what the whole thing was for the last two weeks we've been on, has been about. Uh, and I think there's three things that uh, I think will be helpful for us to consider today about the gospel and our salvation. And I have these three categories, and it's these. One, we'll talk about the history of salvation. Two, the suffering of salvation. And then three, the glory of salvation. So we'll start with, with first, the history of salvation. All right, look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10 and 11. It says this, Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. So in the beginning, for the prophets, the way of salvation was not obvious. It wasn't clear. And and so these prophets, they were searching and, and trying to and kind of dropping hints, and they didn't even know what the hints they were dropping were. They were just speaking as God carried them along, but these hints were being dropped. So the way of salvation was not obvious from the beginning. When I was in college, I think it was my, my junior year, I began to get, get anxious about my, my salvation. And in this season of life, I was, I was rightly concerned about my salvation. And so, uh, so anyway, I was worried. I had some friends pass away. And I was wondering, like, if I died, what would happen to me? Where would I go? Would I go to heaven or hell? And so anyway, uh, I picked up my Bible. That's right. If you're wondering, you know, what's going to happen to you after you die, you pick up your Bible, right? And I read Genesis. And y'all, it wasn't helpful. <laughs> I mean, read the first chap- like five chapters of Genesis and ask the question, how do I get to heaven? Honestly, if you read the whole book of Genesis, it's not answering that question explicitly. And, and so if you approach Genesis asking that question, you're going to be frustrated. But you shouldn't be because that's not the, 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 the uh, question that the book of Genesis is answering. And one of the things that began to surprise me, because I got, kind of got involved in, in ministry and church and started to learn more. One of the things that surprised me about the Bible is what was central to me when it came to my relationship with God and who God is. What was central to me was heaven and hell. I mean, that was the thing I was most concerned about. And it was interesting to me that as I read the Bible, that didn't pop out 
as clear to me. It, it didn't seem like that was the central issue. And, and the Bible is less about figuring out how we get to heaven and more about how God is restoring the relationship with man. I know that seems really close related, and it is, obviously. But, but anyway, we see in the, in the New Testament that the focus is what God is doing to restore his relationship with man. So the, the story that's play, being played out over the Bible, over time, with the prophets dropping hints, uh, they're, they're dropping hints about how God is going to restore his people, uh, and they don't even know what they're doing. And so what I want to do now is I want to, we're just going to look at a few different passages about the Old Testament prophets who are dropping hints about the salvation that is to come. So, for example, uh, Moses wrote Genesis. After Adam and Eve turned from God, God puts a curse on Adam, Eve, and the serpent, who is Satan, right? Uh, if we read about the, the curse on the serpent in Genesis 3.15, you don't have to turn there if you don't want to. I'll read it real quick. In Genesis 3.15, read this. God speaking. says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So the idea here is that there's going to be an offspring of the woman, a child of the woman, and that child of the woman would defeat Satan. He would crush his head, but not without Satan bruising him first, bruising his heel. So Jesus, the offspring of the woman, would defeat Satan on the cross. On the cross, Jesus crushes the head of the serpent, but not without his heel being bruised. Moses probably didn't realize that what he was speaking of there was going, was, was going to be Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. So Moses didn't know what was going on. He was serving not himself, but us. Later in Genesis, Genesis 22, read the story about Abraham sacrificing his son, Isaac. Y'all probably know the story. He takes Isaac up. He's going to sacrifice him. And then God uh, stops him in the last minute. There's a story of the father sacrificing his son. So Abraham probably didn't know what was going on there. Moses probably didn't fully know what was going on there. But on this side of the cross, we know that's, that's dropping a hint. That's pointing us to God the Father, not sparing God the Son. He told Abraham, stop, don't do it. But the, the knife dropped on Jesus, God the Son. So this was something that the Old Testament prophets, they didn't even realize what they were saying. They weren't serving themselves, they were serving us. Moving on to Isaiah 53, you read about the suffering servant. And in there, we read about the suffering servant who, would, who bore the sins of many. And again, Isaiah probably didn't even know what he was talking about there. He probably didn't know this was going to be a picture of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. But we know it now because they were serving not themselves, but us. So, so these prophets throughout the Old Testament are dropping hints and clues. And they probably didn't even know what they were doing, even though they eagerly wanted to know. And isn't it crazy that we know better now than Moses knew then, than Isaiah knew? I mean, these are the ones that, that they wrote it down. And one of the reasons, we'll get into this when we get to 2 Peter chapter 1, but one of the reasons I believe the Bible is, is the prophetic word, is all the hints, over 1,500 years, the Bible's written, and there's all these different hints dropped by these different prophets, and they didn't quite know what they were doing. They didn't know they were weaving together this puzzle that would, after the cross, make perfect sense. So look, all of human history, before Jesus, God was dropping hints and clues through the prophets and bringing things to be that would work out for our salvation. Now, one other mystery to people during the Old Testament times, during the times of the, these prophets, 
is that it sometimes seemed like the prophets were saying that, this, that, that there would become a Savior, a Messiah, a Messiah, uh, and he would come in glory, right? And then other times it seemed like he was saying that this Messiah, Savior, King was going to suffer terribly. And obviously both, both are correct. And so that leads me to my next two points. So let me talk a little bit about the suffering of salvation. All right, look back at verse 11 in 1 Peter 1. It says this, it says, The prophets were inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. So the, the prophets had this idea that, that a Savior King, a Messiah, was going to come and he was going to set things right. And they, they were dropping hints that it would include suffering first, then that would be followed by glory. So in Genesis 3.15, we know that the Savior King is going to crush the head of the serpent, but he's also going to be bruised. And we know from Isaiah 53 that this Savior King was also going to be a man of sorrows. So they, they knew this was going to happen, but they didn't know how it would look. And they probably looked at it the way we might look at the return of Jesus. We have some categories about how Jesus is going to go back, but we're not quite sure what it's going to look like. And so, so this is the story that, that's going on about Jesus coming to get his bride. And look, it, it would be hard to, to think of a, of a love story of any kind. Like if you think of a movie or a book you read that you enjoyed, that has, and most stories have some kind of love story embedded in it. Even like, you know, movies for dudes that are kind of more action-oriented, most of them have some kind of love story embedded in it. And usually what happens, there's a man suffering to some degree in order to get the woman that he loves. Most stories have the man suffering for the girl in some way. It's almost every one of them. And, and I would go a step further that the reason that is, and the, and the reason that story draws us in, and they, I mean, these guys that are making movies and writing books, they write stories that we're going to be interested in. And so we're drawn to these stories. That's why they're written. And the reason that is we're made in the image of God. And this is the story that God is telling. And so it was only natural for us to be attracted to these stories and even deeply moved by them. I mean, this is why guys tend to daydream about pursuing a girl. I mean, in high school and college, I mean, that's consuming guys' thought. And then for girls, think about being pursued. And that's part of the glory. I mean, I mean, part of that, that, that spell you come under, right, when, when you're pursuing someone or, or being pursued, the way it just totally captures your, your imagination, it's everything you think about, that's something about how God, uh, his image is, is imprinted on us, and we have that thought and desire innate in us. And so Jesus is out to get the girl. And in doing so, he must suffer in order to get her. And part of the glory of the girl or part of the glory of the church is the suffering that Jesus went through to get her. Jesus suffered horribly and willingly. Jesus pursued his bride. He pursued her to the point of death and he pulled it off. It worked, but it caused some great suffering. I'm not sure what you think about when you think about Jesus, like if I were to say, hey, I'm going to take a minute. I want you to think about Jesus. You know, I don't know where your mind would go. Some of it might depend on your personality. Some of it might depend on your week. It, it, it might go to some, some sin you're struggling with. It, it might go to maybe feelings of guilt. I sh- should have done more. I should have done better. Maybe you're struggling with something. And when you think about Jesus, you feel shame. You just don't feel like you've done enough. But you know what you need to think about when you think about Jesus? You need to think about how Jesus loved you so much that he left the comfort of heaven, entered our world, 
suffered greatly so that you could be with him. He knows you don't bring anything to the table. He does not need you to do something for him. Does everybody get that? He does not need you to do anything for him. He wants you to be with him. And he suffered so that you could be with him. And he dealt with your sin in such a way that one day you probably won't even be able to remember it. It will be like a bad dream you you recall once when you were a child. You won't be able to quite remember it. So the story of salvation is the story of God the Father giving God the Son a bride. It's a long story that takes up all of human history. And it's it's a story that includes suffering. But it's also a story that ends in glory. So let's talk about the glory of salvation. All right, look look again at verse 11. The prophets were in crying what what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them uh, was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. So what were these subsequent glories that were to come? Well, the the, the prophet Daniel, going back to these prophets, piecing things together. Uh, He interpreted a dream for King Nebuchadnezzar in in Daniel chapter 2. And he said this. So when he's interpreting the dream, Daniel chapter 2, 44, he says, In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. So what Daniel was seeing was that in the end, in the end of human history, the God of heaven is going to set up a kingdom and it will never be destroyed. It will stand forever. And so one day, Jesus will rule on this planet in a physical body. So our, our ultimate destination, here's one of the reasons why the Bible's not about heaven. Because ultimately, heaven, as we know it now, you die and you go to heaven, your body is dead and buried, your soul is with the Lord. That's not the, that's not the end. The end is that your body is physically resurrected and Jesus returns to this planet. Heaven and earth are combined and Jesus sets up his end time forever kingdom on this planet and will be with him forever in our physical bodies. And so that's what's going to happen. That's what all this suffering was, was, was moving toward is Jesus being physically alive in his body, on this planet, with his resurrected body, with us believers in our resurrected bodies, with him, enjoying his rule in glory forever without end. In glory. It, going back to Daniel chapter 7, we read this about this, this another just hint at what this glory will be. Daniel seven thirteen, we see this. I saw in the night visions, Daniel speaking, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man, that's Jesus, and he came to the ancients of the ancient of days and was presented before him. To, and, and to him was given dominion and glory in a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. So we see this Savior King doesn't just suffer, but the suffering would be followed by the type of glory. And it's a type of glory that we really don't even have a category for. And the prophets had pieces of the puzzle. But God in his wisdom never let them have the whole thing. And we know what that suffering looked like for Jesus. The the Old Testament prophets didn't know. But we know on this side of the cross, we know what it looks like. But his glory is still hidden to some degree. But the pattern that we see in the Bible, and the pattern that is promised to us, is suffering is followed by glory. That's the pattern. Suffering followed by glory. 
That was the pattern for Jesus, and that's going to be the pattern for us. Suffering followed by glory. And we see it in Jesus' life in Philippians 2. Read verse 6 through 10. It says, uh, Jesus did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Suffering. Next part. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Suffering followed by glory. The prophets told us this will be the pattern for the Savior King, and this will be the pattern for us. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 4 says, For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look to the things that are, uh, that are seen, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So the story that God's people, the bride of Jesus, are living in right now, the story that you are living in now is suffering followed by glory. The story you're in right now is the part on suffering. But it will be followed by glory, maybe in this life, maybe not so much in this life. And, and this could seem kind of like pie in the sky thinking like, hey, this life's going to be hard, but it's going to be great. Pie in the sky. Everything's going to be great after you die. But we have this pattern that we see in Jesus. He really did suffer. And he, did, he really did rise from the dead into glory. And the same will be true for his church. We will suffer and we will be glorified. And the glory far, far outweighs the suffering. But, but accepting suffering can be a hard pill to swallow. Because all of us, in our own way, have kind of come up with this picture of the good life. And for most of us, suffering wouldn't be a part of that picture. And I wonder this. I wonder if it's, if it's harder for, for some of us who feel like we're almost pulling it off. You know what I mean? Like the good life, we feel like it's within reach. We feel like just a couple things would go our way. Man, everything would be just right. The good life feels like it's within reach and it's just enough to capture, capture our attention and our imagination. And I wonder if instead the, the happiest people among us are those with no vision for the good life. And what I mean by that is that I mean that the good life that the, the, the world and, and, and community around us has kind of imposed on us without us even knowing. I mean, I think, I think we're dancing to a tune we don't realize we're dancing to. It's hard not to. We don't even know it's a tune. We don't even know we're dancing, but it's happening. And so we're going along with it. And so I wonder for us, for those who have been able to escape that, who aren't dancing to that tune, I wonder if those people might be the happiest. I wonder if the people who are the happiest are the ones that they know that they're not the main character. They know they're a small part in a really big story. And the part they are in, the part they're living in is the part on suffering. The, the, the chapters that they're in are the chapters on suffering. And so w- when things go well, they're almost surprised by it. 
not in a cynical way, but, but in an honest way, which was like, gosh, I feel like we're in a fallen world. Things are so bleak in so many ways. It just feels like God's just giving me these little sweet things of happiness. And, and, and when life goes well for you, you're not thinking about Tom. You're thinking, wow, how gracious and merciful of our God. And, and, and maybe it'll be like, you know, have you ever been on a long trip? Have you ever been on a long trip and it just went by fast? And maybe you got there, like, wow, three hours. It went by kind of fast. Or you're on a long plane trip, whatever. It's like, wasn't near as bad as I thought. I, I wonder the more we get this, the, the more we get that it's suffering followed by glory, that this life is a miss. I, I, I wonder if we'll get closer to being, to experiencing the kind of joy the Bible describes, the, the way that, that Peter described it in verse 8, joy inexpressible and filled with glory. So, so in closing, I want to end where, where, I, where I began. Why did God create the world? Because God the Father wanted to give God the Son a bride. And God the Son suffered terribly because of the great love with which he loved us, that we might know him and share in his suffering and in his glory. And that's a really good story. And in our text, we see this is the story that the angels are longing to see, that they're watching. So, may God the Spirit stir our affections for God the Son, who was sent from heaven by God the Father to rescue his bride, the church, you and me. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that you would help us to see what you see, that we will see uh, the life of Jesus, a life of suffering followed by glory, and that we would gladly join him in that, that we would see our life, that we are in the chapters of suffering, but there will be glory to come. And that when we think of Jesus, that we won't think just what can we do for him, we'll think Wow, he's done so much for us, undeserving, undeserving us. He's done so much. So would you stir our affections for Jesus uh, and would you help us become more like him? In Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.